I mean, how many academics do you want to hear in one day? The solution could very well be... All of which really begs, I think, a bigger question. It just triggers all our instincts of wanting to know what happened. Why do universities exist? I know a hell of a lot more now. So this is a, a breaking down of a barrier. Hello and welcome to another episode of Can You Tell Me Why? The podcast where we get surprising answers to difficult questions. My name is Hannah Laxton-Koontz. And my name's William Verity. And you have somewhat of a big question for us Yeah, today. well this is, not just, this is not just another episode. This is actually our final episode of our very first series. We're very much hoping that we're going to get a second series. Oh, it's definitely going to happen. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Good. Um, so this is the final one for now. And fittingly, it's all about death. Although actually it's all about life. So we're talking today to really two of my favourite academics in the university, um, Gordon Wallace, mm. who um, is the New South Wales Scientist of the Year for 2017. Mm. Re- really an extraordinary guy. Uh, and like, like all extraordinary people, very humble and very accessible in what he does. So he's in charge of a centre of excellence which does... Um, uh, creates new materials, and the new materials we're going to be talking about are new biological materials. So actually, three D prints, brains, ears, Whoa. and it won't be too long, as we will hear, before really you can three D print an entire body. Wow! So um, what things so, are moving fast? So what does this have to do with life and or death? Well, because for the first time in in history, we are coming to the stage where at the very least, we're coming to the stage where we are going to be living for much longer than we do at the moment, because as our organs start to fail us, there is no reason why we can't simply print a new organ. Ooh. So so print a new heart, print a new kidney, whatever. Lungs. Lungs, etc. And once we get good enough at it, there's no theoretical reason or even really any practical reason that we couldn't do that for any part of our body. Wow. So that obviously opens up huge questions as to whether, not so much whether we can live forever, but whether we should, should. live together mm. and how that would change our life, which kind of gets us on to our second interview, which is probably my favorite. My favorite <laughs> academic in the University of Wollongong is Katina Michael, who's really an extraordinary human being in many ways and that's not uh, that's not just because when I went to interview her she gave me a pot of t- a, uh, a thing of tea <laughs> where's my tea yes I know I she, she g- gave now. me a gift for interviewing her she's the only only academic or anybody who actually gives me a gift she's such a um, she's such a deeply generous person Katina and that's not just I'm not just talking about tea here and such a thoughtful person as well as you will hear she has a very really in a university context quite a revolutionary take on things Mm. so this one is a little bit different I'm Um, interested to hear what she's got to say I mean if you you warm to her so much I'm definitely keen to hear um, her take on this big sort of philosophical issue yeah well she's a she, she i think it's fair to say that she's a deeply spiritual person and that comes through really just in the way she talks as well as what she says well, let's get into it okay so i think without the imposing clock of death there's no real motivation to do anything 
but I guess if you can kind of live forever, then you can kind of continually put off everything. Why do people age? Why do we get older? Why does your back hunch over? Young people and old people and the difference between them is just so odd. Like they're the same species, but they're just so different. Like the way old people dress, right? Where's the line between dressing like a like a teen or a young adult and then suddenly crossing this line to wearing like floral blouses and like hush puppies and like, you know, just old people clothes? Like, why do you decide that suddenly, okay, look, I'm old now, this is my uniform, I have to change, I don't get it. Even me as someone in this world, I feel like tired every time I look at the news or like, just the news cycle, everything that's happening, it's always in your face and you're like, imagine living for, like that for eternity and being like, okay, great, I lived through the Holocaust and I lived through Donald Trump and now humanity's doing that again and I'm around for it again and you're like, wow, this is the fifth time that's happened. If you could choose a lifespan, what healthy lifespan would you choose? I'd say probably till about 90 would do me. And, and as long as I can keep working, and I don't call it work actually, as long as I can keep researching at the pace that we're researching at at the moment and enjoying life to the full, I'd be happy to sign off on that. It's already been an amazing life. Seriously, it has been amazing. Yeah, I think another three decades of that would do me. Okay, I'll come and ask you the same question when you're 89. <laughs> <laughs> no we're here to talk about a subject that concerns all of us, death. Since the beginning of humanity, we've been grappling with the issue of immortality. For all of that time, it's been a problem that's been beyond the reach of science. It's been the exclusive realm of religion. But now, for the first time, science may be approaching the real possibility of hugely extended healthy lives, something at least approaching immortality. And if there is a god at the University of Wollongong, he works at the Innovation Campus. Uh, yes, uh, Gordon Wallace, uh, Director of the ARC Centre of Excellence for Electromaterial Science. Gordon Wallace is the New South Wales Scientist of 2017. A brilliant man, but a humble one too. He's been receiving a lot of publicity for the work his team has been doing 3D printing biomaterial. To put it simply, his researchers have been creating artificial living organs. Ears, for instance. In the case of the 3D printed ear, the challenge there to start with is just replicating the incredible complexity of the shape and the feel and the distribution of mechanical properties in the ear. And then as part of that print process, as well as replicating those physical properties, where we print a softer gel material, which does take, accommodates this, the patient's own stem cells and uh, develops into cartilage. So you're actually creating a, a living ear. It's not just a replica or a shape. It's actually a living ear that would be transplanted back into the patients. It has been a really challenging project, but we've made tremendous progress towards achieving those goals in uh, just in over a year. So they're already doing ears. But amazing though that is, it's not going to help me live much longer. How about the other organs? How about the brain, for instance? that famously starts dying once we've reached our early 20s. I asked Gordon to tell me about the so-called Brain on a Bench project.
it's an interesting 3D printing project because it arose not from the idea that you know we wanted to replicate something and have a clinical solution in two years' time. It was really a very fundamental question from collaborators that work on schizophrenia and, and on epilepsy. And that is, you know, if we could 3D print arrangements of cells on the bench and look at the development of those uh, stem cells into neurons and into neural networks, we could compare that development in cells from a healthy individual as well as from cells from a patient with schizophrenia or with epilepsy. And we can actually observe how those neurons develop on the bench, how they create these neural networks, and why is it different or how is it different? You know, how are these diseases developing on the bench? You know, having that fundamental knowledge that we haven't had before, maybe we can be really clever about how we could intervene in the development of those diseases. So it's a really exciting project because it comes from some very fundamental questions about how biology works, how biology develops in three dimensions, and how can we intervene in the development of diseases or, as you mentioned, uh, even repair parts of the brain that have not developed or have uh, undergone damage due to development of diseases uh, like Parkinson's, for example. So if we're already 3D printing brains for drug research and possible implants, what are the chances of being able to replace our other dying organs using our own stem cells? Let's take it one step up. Is there anything fundamentally impossible in your view to the prospect that we will be able to 3D print a heart, for instance, or a kidney? We are at the point where we can start to think about creating these much more complex structures, these complete organs that could be 3D printed. But they are complex and there's still a lot of challenges to be addressed, including how we vascularise those structures and we keep them alive and keep them functioning for quite a long period of time. So the message seems to be one of cautious optimism for those who love life so much that they want to enjoy it for far more than the standard 80 years of mortality. We are already creating structures that will extend life. We're creating structures that facilitate natural biological regeneration and, and healing processes. And if you can create those organs, you're going to extend life for individuals uh, even further. No, I, I think there'll be non-technical questions that will arise. There'll be regulatory issues, there'll be ethical issues that we will need to address. Uh, and we need to be addressing that now. And I think there's some big non-technical questions that we need to be addressing because I think the technology, the science, the knowledge that we're accruing is going to go ahead in leaps and bounds in the next five years and we need to be, be positioned to tackle those big other questions. So it may be technically possible, but even Gordon Wallace, the consummate scientist, says science does not have all the answers here. It's so incredible that this is sort of, you know, it's on the horizon, it's in our near future. And how great would it be to know that so many people could live bigger and fuller and healthier lives knowing that, you know, they've, you know, they've got that organ that they need to be able to fill that picture. But I've got so many philosophical questions now. I'm like, okay, so say you're a pack-a-day smoker and you absolutely destroy your lungs, does that mean you deserve someone to print you up a new set of lungs because you destroyed your first pair? Why not? 
Because you you ruined it. <laughs> you broke it. You had a good time while you did doing it, though. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably very true. But you used to smoke, so you've got a you've got a vested interest in this. Yes, no, I think you don't have to be moralistic about this. I mean, it could, could be, you know, we can have fun. We can, we can destroy our bodies and then get new ones. I was going to say, but then it also means would you live in a fuller way in the sense that, you know, you'd take, bigger risks you'd go bungee jumping or I don't know whatever the hell because you're like oh you know if if something goes wrong it's all right I've got that back up yeah I, I don't know I, I I have to say I'm not all I'm not at all attracted by the idea of immortality I mean right now both you and I as we've talked before we we have what Gordon is offering we have healthy strong bodies we can we, I could go we could both go bungee jumping tomorrow in fact why don't we do that ah uh, pass thank and, you <laughs> so so uh, if I'm suddenly told sure you can do this for another 50 years I'm still me I'm still here I'm still I've still got the same you know anxieties happiness you know it's all mm. everything's still the same nothing mm. changes really so um you just get it for longer. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, everybody loves a little deadline. You know, I work more effectively and efficiently when I have time constraints. And so, you know, I've got 80 or 90 years. Let's see what I can do with that time. I don't think I want forever. Mm, well, that's a, such a good segue into our next interview, <laughs> I have to say, cause, because the next segue, my what I take out of this is that death gives life meaning. mm Right, let's hear. Let's meet Katina. All right. So, what would someone like you know about death? I guess I have personal views about death, and uh, I also research the concept of death when we look at technology and whether technology can give us perhaps immortality in the future. And it reminds me of the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis, where the people decided they would reach the divine, they would reach heaven through building a huge tower to get to heaven. And they didn't understand their own limitations, their frailties, their weaknesses, the fact that the only way you can reach heaven in that belief system is through God. We can't build things. We can't make ourselves obsolete and bring technological uh, devices into our body or change our 14 vital organs into something other than that so that we can live forever I think that is somewhat hubris and engineers thinking they can solve all problems when some problems really need <laughs> some divine to, to solve them. Professor Katina Michael in the School of Computing and Information Technology has had an abiding interest in a movement called transhumanism. People have described it in two ways either you believe in transhumanism or transhumanism and it really has to do with whether you believe that your body decays so you need to replace all the various bits with silicon or metal or things that don't decay and then there are other people that say you can extend your biological limits via augmentation and technology so for example brain implants or downloading your mind on computers The 
do I think this is possible? Well, throw enough resources at a problem, we'll get closer to augmentation. Certainly, we already have brain implants for the military, for memory enhancement, and for overcoming post-traumatic stress disorder, for instance. However, will we be able to say, I no longer require my human body? I think that's almost irrational to believe that. It's just another Band-Aid solution. It's just another quick fix. It's, it's, it's an easy way to solve the problem of immortality. We're being distracted by something equivalent to noise. Why aren't we looking at our ecological crisis? Why aren't we looking at how we can ensure biodiversity in species? Why aren't we looking at um, the atrophy that's occurring in society today? Why aren't we cooperating with one another? If people had on Earth a thousand years to live or we lived forever I could jump off a cliff knowing I could be around forever I could murder, I could kill, I could rape I could do whatever I wanted and the repercussions of living forever would be forever and so I think the fact that we know if we cut our skin we die if we pierce into the nerves we die that actually helps pro provide some level of harmony in our society because we know we are just all one step away from death. That's how close it is. What she says there, I 100% agree with. I think, like you were saying before too, it just, it really does give you a sense of context and, I don't know, just pulls you back in. Mm. It, it really makes, makes you rethink everything that you're doing because, you know, it's not forever. Yes, and uh, I know I've referred once or twice to this before because it was such a big event in my life, obviously. But after after my daughter died, in the, certainly in the year after my daughter died, I never felt more alive. Mm. Um, strangely, that when you're uh, when you're really up against that chasm of death, um, it's things become so black and white. Yeah, um, you wake up. And you you probably you live every day like you can. I mean, I mean, I I love to exercise, and I've we've talked about this before. Both of us really do, and probably a big part of that for me is you know, not everyone has the ability to do that. Not everyone has a body that is fully functioning and is able to you know push themselves to their absolute limits for an hour every day. So why not? And, you know, why not make sure that your body is maintained and kept healthy so that you can keep doing that constantly? Yeah, celebrate life while you can. And there's, and there's something about that, that you've earned that. We've earned that. I was in the gym this morning at 6 o'clock, mm. um, practically vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, wonderful like <laughs> way to start the day. Um, and that means so much more to me than just kind of, you know, I don't know, getting a transplant. Um, I'm actually, I mean, maybe it's because I'm, as far as I know, I'm not close to death. Mm. But I'm kind of okay with the way things are. I'm not, uh, I'm not looking for immortality. No, I, I, I definitely, I'll be interested to see how that pans out in the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and how that changes the way people live. And it, and it, it might actually just be a crisis of vision. I mean, that, that, 
um, and this is a whole, maybe we'll do this in our second series, but <laughs> um, it may be just uh, we want immortality because we don't have the imagination to, to, to imagine what might come next. But, yeah. but there are people, and Katina's one of them, and possibly I'm another, um, who believe that what happens next is so extraordinary and so amazing that uh, you would be a fool to not, not, not to want to, to enter go. that space. Yeah. Hmm. So we should at this stage, this is our last, Grant is sitting here. Grant is really, <laughs> we're the puppets and he's the, he's the whatever he is. He's the whatever it later. is. <laughs> Grant, come and, come and say hello for the last, this, this is Grant Reynolds, who's, this, this is his program, it's not our program, so... Right. So, just for the final thing, just Grant, just tell us, tell us your, the reason that you came up with this program, what the idea behind it, and what you're what you're hoping to achieve from it. I think what we're seeing in the world around us is a, a desperate need for uh, answers, or new ideas, or new inter- insights into problems around the world. Yet at the same time, we're seeing a moving away or a rejection of of expertise, including academic expertise. Mm. So we need to find a way to get people interested in in looking at these evidence-based solutions, perhaps even tricking them into engaging with experts or or, um, listening to these new ideas in in a format that's not dry or sort of too um, top-down, if you like. Yeah, so contrary to popular belief, there is a value in listening to people who have spent time researching a subject and actually kind of know a little bit about what they're talking about. Absolutely, and I think if I was an academic, wouldn't it be rewarding to see your work have some sort of impact in the public domain, whether it it changes policy or a a new type of solution or it moves people to action. And so what we're trying to do is show how a a lot of the work that's being done here is really having that impact in the world. Yeah, that's the whole point, really. If it doesn't change the world, what's the point of it? That's it. Well, I hope that this podcast has changed the world for some people out there. Change my world, anyway, <laughs> in a small way. It's been a wonderful <laughs> uh, series to be a part of, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. So before we get teary and emotional, <laughs> <laughs> this is the final episode of series number one of many of Can You Tell Me Why? Surprising Answers to Difficult Questions, produced by the very talented team at the University of Wollongong. If you want to find out more, you can go to stand.uaw.edu.au or just simply Google The Stand Wollongong, and I'm sure you'll get there. My name is Hannah Laxton-Koontz. It's been an absolute pleasure. And my name is William Verity. Ditto. See you next time.